0: your own
1: questions about anything that Lucas and Andy said or did not say, that maybe you hoped they would say. Um, Andy, I'll start us off with a question just off of something you briefly alluded to, the Joe Rigney situation at Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Maybe if there were any lessons learned, maybe you can summarize what that situation was. I think you did a little bit. Uh, and then if there are any lessons you learned from that.
2: Sure. Well, well, Joe Rigney was the president of our school for almost two years, and uh, what John Piper came to learn during that time was the he, he, he didn't understand prior to Joe becoming president that Joe thought that uh, it was permissible for this, the government to establish Christianity and to even theoretically, if prudently, uh, if it was a wise call, to punish blasphemy. Um, and John Piper found that to be uh, unbiblical and appalling, and thought that the president of our school shouldn 't hold those views so it was a Joe was never underhanded about this; he was up front, he was clear, he worked together with the board, they parted as friends there 's no animosity involved so it was it was a good good parting in that sense, um, but lessons learned there is that the leaders of an organization, whether a church or a school um, need to be aligned on what they think about such matters, what are the boundaries, so they know when they call a leader to be on the team or to lead the team, um, it's clear what those boundaries are, and, and the the board of our school is still working through exactly what those boundaries are. They're, they're planning to meet next month to, to try to get clarity on that. So that, that's a lesson just for all of us is what's in bounds and what's not.
1: Good. Thank you.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah Lucas, so basically I wanted to ask kind of an intro question to both of them, and then I'll open it up to you guys with any questions you have, and we'll just need to make sure we repeat the question. If I forget, before you answer the question, you can repeat the questions for the sake of the recording. So, Lucas, for you um, on the sense of, or in the uh, realm of preaching. If there's a book that you find particularly helpful and you talk quite a bit about preaching, A, a book about preaching itself, and then B, a book that's not about preaching that has helped you with your own Good. Okay. I'll open up to any questions you guys have.
3: You know, you have 40-year-olds who have never heard of the gospel. So um, I'm not trying to, I, I'm not convincing myself that I can keep the attention of a seven-year-old, you know, for 40 minutes in Revelation. But I do want to um, be clear enough for them. But I don't want to see the, the lowest biblical literacy as the common denominator that the whole sermon. We to, So you need to juxtapose difficult things with clearer things. I try to even do that with words. So if I use a word like perspicuity, I need to follow that. It's clear. It's Two or three words to follow it up. They just learned the new word or if it went over their head, they at least got the other words. And I think you want to try to do that with concepts too. Like We might reach a little high here for some of you, but let me also put put something next to it that are clear for children to grasp, or your your person is their first time in church, uh, so that they don't, they didn't get everything, but they got enough to go, I need to come back, and, and, and learn, so like, I do have
1: Andy, you talk about some uh, trends you've noticed? I think you probably preach in other churches more than most of us do, so you're seeing trends in your own church, but in other places around the country, so trends in churches, across the country right now
2: that encourage you and trends that trouble you? Uh, f- discouraging trends, I'd say, are men who hide behind other people's identity politics to say the hard thing. So if it's a hard thing to say about women, they get a woman to say it. If a hard thing to say about ethnicity, they get a person of a, another ethnicity to say it. Uh, or or they're they're just afraid to say what's true because they're playing by the world's game. Um, And I'm seeing more and more men, this is encouraging, break out of that mold. Uh, They're seeing the game played and realizing it's worldly thinking to adopt that, and uh, more and more men are getting courage uh, to be godly men and doing what's right there. So I'm I'm seeing more men with a backbone addressing hot-button cultural issues faithfully. That encourages me. There's a lot more I could say, but that's the one on my front burner. Okay, he's asking, should a church have a, a position paper on church and state? Uh, I do think it's appropriate to have something, to say something, because the Bible talks to this. The question is, how specific should it be? Um, so, uh, is this going to be posted online?
1: We need to edit
4: something. We
2: can. Well, I, I also, I'll, I'll be careful how I say it. Um, the elders of my church are in the process of thinking through what our member affirmation of faith says about this and, and thinking about. Uh, tweaking the wording in a way that would be better. Um, say it like that. So I think it's good to teach our people uh, that God has ordained the government to punish evildoers and reward the good. Like that's right out of Romans 13. That, that's a kind of guardrail uh, for saying, well, the, the government, God has given the sword. He's not given them the keys. That's what the church gets. So, so I think it's helpful to use the language of they have distinct... Jurisdictions. Now they might be overlapping or may not. I'd rather not say that. I'd rather say distinct jurisdictions so that when the government says you can't meet on Sunday, uh, you may not meet on Sunday because of this whatever pandemic, we can say, uh, Thank you for caring and trying to shepherd the citizens. Uh, this isn't actually your jurisdiction though, so we're going to make the call. And, okay, in this case, we agree with you, so we're deferring, we're not submitting. Or we'd say, we actually disagree with you, we're rebelling against you, because you don't have authority over this. So, like, to have categories like that, that's good. That's good to be able to teach, through, to, uh, teach about it, so you're ready to shepherd your church in the moment. Uh, it's good to have a statement like that. Uh, but I would caution against making your statement so specific that it means a lot of Christians can't join your church. That, that's my personal opinion.
1: Uh, so some
4: of us work for large national companies, and we don't face pressure from the state. We face pressure from corporations. Mm-hmm.
2: think this question's for you <laughs> Did, could you all hear the question, Go
1: ahead, repeat, the
2: question. repeat the question basically I, I, in my taxonomy I talk about this, the state or the government I don't talk about corporations so let's say I, I know who you work for but let's say it's Target uh, you work for Target he, he doesn't um, what, what does a faithful Christian do working for Target or Apple or you know name the big company and you dig enough you're going to find some dirt um, I think faithfulness there is going to look different given your level of responsibility and what they're requiring of you. So a really good example for this is the book of Daniel, how Daniel could be an actual administration, uh, a government official in the administration and do so in a way that's faithful to God, even though it's a pagan government. That's possible to do. What's not God-honoring is when you compromise your faith, when you compromise morals, when you compromise what God has commanded. And even if it's not something God's commanded, but if you were to go against it, it would signal you're compromising. So the Bible doesn't say you have to pray three times a day in public, but Daniel just didn't change what he was doing. Uh, so uh, I need more specifics to get... Yeah. Well, if I can just, yeah. Uh, you know, there are companies that allow
4: employees to wear pronoun pants mm-hmm. uh, with their preferred pronouns. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, he's asking about pronoun pins in corporations. So it's a job of the pastor to shepherd his people on how to think about those matters for sure. And I'd want to shepherd people to say don't play that language game of make-believe against God's created order. Don't go along with that. That's giving credence to it. I think that's a lose-your-job issue. If they're going to make you put your pronouns in your bio, you find another job. Uh, it's, it's one of those. Uh, but th- that's different than you're in the company and you're not going along with it. Uh, but you're quietly uh, honoring the Lord, and when appropriate, saying things. You don't have to be a, a, a an activist to be a faithful Christian in, in such a case. And I, I, if we were alone, I could ask you more follow-up questions of, you know, are you are you faithful in this, are you faithful in this? But uh, if you dig deep enough, it'd be like, what what jobs can you be part of if you can't? So... Uh, I would be very, very hesitant to say, you know, unless your 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 employer is a Christian flee. Like that's just that's not. You can't do that. Yes, Dan.
0: Andy, uh, you talked about uh, kind of uh, Kevin DeYoung's uh, four categories. Mm-hmm.
2: What's good is being faithful, being faithful to the Lord, uh, and that means you're affirming and celebrating what's true and not compromising. Now, can God bring good out of compromisers? Yes, but that doesn't justify what they're doing. So I don't I don't want to act like all four views are, like, relativistically say, yeah, they all do some good, so what's the difference? I do think that some of those views are more right than others and that God can still draw straight lines with crooked sticks. I mean, my, my biological, excuse me, my... My parents divorced when I was five. My mom remarried Charles Naselli when I was six. He had just become a Christian watching Jerry Falwell preach on TV. God can draw straight lines with crooked sticks. You know, praise the Lord for that. Uh, so uh, I don't have to agree with everyone's, every aspect of a person's political theology to recognize God can use that guy. That said, you can be more faithful than not in how you understand and apply political theology. You can chip in here, man. I'm sure you've got thoughts. You're doing great, man. I'm the head
1: nod.
3: So the question is, uh, when you're in a congregation, you're in a shepherd.
1: Super specific to what Will just said, not to interrupt if you were going to say anything, Andy. Uh, I was going to add a specificity component to what Will said. If one of your members is devouring everything that Julie Royce is putting online, are you going to talk to that member about that? Are you going to let that go? Have you had any experience with that situation?
2: You want me to talk to that? Um, yes. Well, I've read maybe three or four articles she's written, and that's it. So I'm not an expert on her in particular. But from what I know, um, from just that, more cases where I have a, a lot of knowledge and she wrote about something, she maybe knew about 2 or 3% of what was going on and then kind of extrapolated the rest in a way that maybe Rita Skeeta might do in Harry Potter. Um, which leads me to have a, a sense that if people are feasting on that sort of thing regularly, and that's her uh, typical pattern, that would be unhealthy. So I would strongly encourage church folks to be reading the Bible and books that help them better understand the Bible. And there are people you can benefit from who, with discernment, the uh, but they're probably not that type of resource. How's that? of read between the lines there, maybe.
3: And I think, I think pastorally, yeah. you want to ask, what's driving that? Like, yeah. If, if all you want to read is articles on exposing guys. Like, are you hurt or something? Or do you think something's going on here? Like, try to, like, I, okay. something, something's driving that, something behind that. Like, these guys that can't talk about anything but theonomy. Like, did you come to those conclusions from scripture? Or is politics driving your view of law Politics driving your like postmill is like getting popular now. Like, post postmill feed the theonomy stuff, or is you're just sick of where things are, is it, like some of the stuff we talked about earlier? And then that's driving there some stuff. I think it's fair to ask questions. You're not saying it's true, but at least ask questions like, what is driving you, theonomy, everything from that one podcast or that one blog or, or whatever it is, and see if you can shepherd them toward place that's
2: more reasonable maybe. Uh, Did you listen to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast? Some of it. Okay, so that's an example of um, if, you, if, if you have a steady diet of that kind of, of, of uh, podcast or blogs what that does is it, it creates a disposition in a church member to distrust leadership and it's, it's almost like if, if your church puts behind all the women's bathroom stalls is your husband abusing you uh, da, 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 call this number it makes every woman think oh maybe my husband's an abuser and then it, it's actually planting seeds uh, and those kind of ministries if even if well intentioned I think end up planting seeds in the, mem- the minds of many Christians to see what's not there in a way that is unhealthy for the church that, Okay, there are pastors who are spiritually abusive I want to say that Uh, but uh, the, the seeds that are planted from those kinds of resources I think do more harm than good. Could you guys all hear the question, basically, Roe v. Wade's been overturned. Should Ober- Obergefell be overturned in a similar way? Absolutely. And we should be praying to that end. Obergefell's straight-up evil. And the, the ramification, is a teacher, and even if it's a law, it's very hard to enforce, like a law against marijuana. You make it legal, marijuana use skyrockets. So you, you change the definition of marriage, and it teaches people in an evil way. And we're, we're reaping some of that now. So yeah, I'd be in favor of, of, of reversing that, for sure. Now, how feasible is that? I don't know, but uh, I'm praying to that end, for sure. Yeah, it's winsome to some people. Okay, and you don't think that it's
4: there's this perception that conservatives just want to fight? Um, and how much of that I just want to fight is too much? I mean, Athanasius has fought, Afanasy's controversial, but how much
2: is too much? So he's asking about fighting. What should our disposition be towards fighting? So, pastors in here, you know the the qualifications for an elder include not a brawler, not a fighter, uh, but we're shepherds, which means we're supposed to be able to take out lions and bears and wolves which means our disposition should not be to fight, but when fighting is necessary, we fight. Absolutely. So uh, we should be, our gentle, our, dis- our disposition should be gentle, and when the occasion calls for it, we should not be gentle. And that takes wisdom to know the situation. I think, so I have three literary examples that come to mind. Uh, Gandalf, Aslan, and Dumbledore. So start with Gandalf. Uh, in the Tolkien stories, uh, Gandalf is kind. The hobbits love him. Uh, he's even merciful towards um, towards um, Gollum. Yeah, thank you. Sorry for towards Gollum. But when when it calls for it, when there's a, ca- a cave troll, or or worse, he's he's going to stand in the gap and he's going to fight. Uh, he'll, he'll duel. Or Aslan, uh, the kids can nuzzle in his fur, he can purr, he's kind and gentle, and he can also take out the white witch. Or Dumbledore, he could be merciful towards a, an orphan boy and kind to him and care and we're going to look out for him and he can duel Voldemort. Uh, so a pastor in a similar way can tenderly pick up a sheep that's wounded can carefully guide a sheep that's going the wrong way and can also take out a wolf that's about to eat the sheep. Uh, most of our time as pastors is the gentle part, but sometimes there's a fighting part and that takes preparation, a certain kind of mindset. That's good. Uh, and, that's, and men are particularly built for this. God made men to fight in those situations and that's good. Uh, so we are fighters, but that's not our main disposition. How's that go, Clayton? Feel free to disagree with me by the way. No, totally agree. Okay.
5: recently had someone express an interest in membership who is a post colonialist kind of under the influence of Canon Press and Douglas Wilson. And so I would love to hear even all three of you answer, would you have any concerns with welcoming that kind of person? I know that's a very short description, uh, into membership at your church.
1: Okay, some amazing questions. Whether you have someone in your church or join your church. Who's enjoying Doug Wilson and those types of
5: resources? Well, it is the um, I can go
1: fast. I'll be fast. I have no issue in terms of uh, membership and so forth, uh, considering it to use kind of Andy's other taxonomy, third level issue, <coughs> very unlikely that's going like to
2: Okay, I, I'm a little different than Eric on this one um, I love Doug Wilson and think very highly of him he's a friend so I know him personally he's like a jolly Santa Claus who's filled with the spirit he is great uh, so he might have the, you might know him as Blog Doug but there's a book Doug and just a pastor Doug that's fantastic uh, uh, I've subscribed to Canon Plus benefit from it I'm not post-mill but if I could choose a position that didn't have to have scripture to support it I'd be post-mill uh, it's the best one that's
1: what I mean. I need to have
4: longer yeah, conversations. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So, um, f- uh, I could uh, definitely, someone like that could join our church and I would encourage it. i love that because they're good for the immune system of the church. They're good people. When you go through a woke uprising, those are the best people to have. Uh, so I, I just have nothing but affection for them. Uh, but I, I know that some of them could become schismatic about it. I've not experienced that, but, but that's when it would become a problem. So I'd say, welcome. You're very welcome here. I mean, Joe Rigney, he's, he's post-mill uh, he's, and I served with him for 11 years, 10 years, uh, and have nothing but affection for him. I used to I teach systematic theology and when I taught the Millennium, I'd bring in Joe and interview him for the class, let him make his case, and then I'd say why well, I think he's wrong and he'd say why well, he thinks he's right and then we'd hug and move on. It's, it wasn't a problem.
3: Yeah, I don't think I would want to just outright deny some membership because of their millennial position, but I to
1: Who are here in Illinois? I assume this is true for you, Lucas. We have tons of people who have moved out of this state. You know, I talked to one of the pastors here who's had close to 200 people leave their church over the last three or four years. A number of those have moved out of Illinois. So, Andy, as someone who's not in Illinois, if you could encourage us who are here in Illinois and consider it where God's put us, and actually a blessing in many ways to live here, um, how would you encourage us to keep fighting the good fight in Illinois while watching so many people move to? Austin or Louisville or
2: Greenville or Tampa or whatever. Yeah, um, don't, or even don't have a martyr's complex, woe is me. Uh, but if you have an opportunity to shepherd people as they're thinking about leaving, I would be careful about making them feel guilty for leaving if they have good motives and good reasons. Uh, for example, if a person has a bunch of young kids and has reason to think that given the state of public schools and the, just the system, it could be dangerous for there to be a contagion of Transitions and doesn't want that to affect their children and they think it'd be safer to be another spot. I understand that um, There can be good reasons to move on uh, However, if you think you're 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 relatively stable there like I do uh, we homeschool or do Lagos Logos online school uh, For my older kids and our, our kids love Jesus and have professed to follow Jesus as far as we can tell uh, We have no fear of them being infected by this transgender contagion So we view ourselves in Minneapolis, which is just as liberal as here, if not more, uh, we view ourselves as missionaries. I mean, people go to the much harder places in Minneapolis all over the world, and they do so nobly, and I think that's a good mindset to have. And I also want to respect fellow Christians who calculate we want to have generations of our family in the same area, and we think we can build better in another spot. I understand that too. Uh, But just got to make sure that the mindset behind it is motivated by the right things and not... I just want a life of ease. So for those of you with people leaving, have that missionary mindset. This is hard. Buckle down. Be faithful in what God's called you to do. Don't despair. And shepherd people faithfully as they're considering leaving. She's asking about media consumption. Feel free to chip in here. Uh, number one is you need to be feeding on the Word of God. So uh, as pastors of our church, we are constantly exhorting to people make that your main thing. Um, your main diet is intake of the Bible and hearing from your shepherds and being in your small groups and, and doing this Christian life together here. Um, it's very, very dangerous when your, your consumption is dominated by the news cycle, which is it's all about titillation and fear and anger. You're exactly right. Um, so personally, I don't, I don't uh, watch any of the mainstream media at all. Even in the airports, I look away. I don't want to be defiled. So I'm, I'm an Anabaptist with reference to mainstream media. Um, I just don't trust it. Uh, and I have lots of people I trust who I follow on Twitter or I just have different uh, chats with them. And I, I read journal articles, books... Uh, magazines. I don't do the daily news cycle. Oh, and I do do two podcasts, World and Everything in It and and, and The Briefing by Al Mohler. So those are my two daily things, uh, but they're from a Christian perspective, and I find them helpful. Feel free to correct me.
0: I was just
3: going to say, if Dan, you talk about fear and anxiety. <clears throat> and anxiety but I think we need to speak to those. I mean, we need to be the counter voice to all those.
2: Be ballast. ballast. Yeah, right?
3: yeah that were
2: The song by that dude with the red beard? Did you see that? I'm oh, here. see, I, I heard it one time. So there's, some. it's like a country song, and he's basically saying that the politicians are making poor people dependent on welfare, and it's ruining everything, and these rich people are messing up our lives. Is that the gist? Yep. Okay, my take is, number one, he cusses too much uh, in his song. Number two... He's saying something that's true, because welfare destroys people the way their country's doing it, and I appreciate that. And number three, there are a lot of out-of-touch people who don't realize there's a lot of just normal people who are just fed up with the whole system and they don't trust any, any politicians, and he hit a nerve, and that's why he hit number one on the Apple chart or whatever it was. There you go, how's that? All right,
1: Andy, if someone here has never read a book and seem to talk about a couple people you've had a lot of interaction with, never read a book by uh, John Piper you should read
2: Pleasures of God, the best book he's ever written
1: never read a book by D.A. Carson you should read
2: in this room it would be his book on 1 Corinthians I think it's called it used to be the Cross and Christian Ministry, it might have a different title now, but it's Lessons from 1 Corinthians uh, never Uh, I would say read The Things of Earth, which is basically Christian Hedonism 2.0. It's uh, it's uh, Christian Hedonism with beer and bacon.
1: Never read anything by like
2: Doug Wilson? Doug Wilson. Uh, basically, any book he's written on the home, parenting and the family. I just, I'm reading a book aloud right now to my four daughters each night called Get the Guy. How to be the kind of woman, the kind of man you would want to marry, would want to marry. And it's amazingly insightful. Anybody else want to throw a
1: name in there that you want to throw a book reference out for? Of? Kevin DeYoung? Someone's never read
2: Kevin DeYoung. Kevin DeYoung. What's the best thing I am? Well, I just gave you one of his books. I forget the title. Yeah, what's the book I gave you? It's his newest one. Yeah, it's like the the opposite of Radical by David Platt, which makes you feel guilty for not like being invested in every issue in the world. Uh, and this is like You can honor God faithfully. You can obey God by just being a a normal, faithful Christian. And that pleases the Lord. Read your Bible, pray, be part of your church, be faithful with what he's given you. Um, That's the Christian life, and it's good. Good. All
1: right, we have like 30 seconds to a minute. Anybody want to ask one last question? some guys need to cut out during the break, so that's when we're going to stop on time, and then you can ask other questions
2: if you need to. Can I recommend a book? I uh, just read a book this two, I'm give you two books. Two books this summer that were at the top of my list. One is by Rosaria Butterfield called Five Lies Christians Believe or something like that. It got the word five lies in it. Fantastic. And then another one by Michael Clary called God's Good Design. It's about sexuality. I just reviewed both of them and they are fantastic books on hot button modern day issues for us. I commend them to you. Uh, I just wrote a book on how to read a book, and in there, it's come out in March with Canon Press, Cannon Press, sorry. Canon um, and I explain three levels of reading, so uh, micro-reading, macro-reading, and surveying, so I read at different levels, um, and if you count surveying, I don't really want to tell you, because it will sound, I don't keep track of the number, but it's, it's a lot, uh, but that's the nature of my job, I'm a book review administrator, so I get, you know, five, ten books a day to process for a journal, so I'm just constantly processing books. But thats I could process a book in 10 minutes. Uh, some books will take weeks to read. So it depends on how I'm reading it. If
3: you want to learn more about how to begin a book, put a bookmark in it, <laughs> and then slap it on your cell. If talk
1: at break, I <laughs> All right, with that, we'll take a 10-minute break. Thank all you right. all so much.
2: When are we convening?
1: We're going
2: to restart at 2.10. 2.10, go. Okay.